Well, praise the Lord. If you have your Bibles and you would, grab your Bibles. Turn with me to the book of 1 Peter in the New Testament. 1 Peter chapter number 1 and verse number 18. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse number 18. 1 Peter is right after the book of Hebrews and James in the New Testament toward the end. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 18. I believe the Lord wants to talk to our hearts this morning. That God wants to instill some faith in us, faith that comes directly from His Word. We can talk a great deal about being people of faith, about being a man of faith or a woman of faith. But faith has to be invested in something. Abstract faith is not powerful. Abstract faith is not effective. To simply say, I believe, means nothing. What do you believe? Does that make sense? We can believe a lot of things, but just because we believe something, we believe in something, doesn't really mean anything unless we know what it is we believe in. Paul said, I know in whom I have believed, and I am persuaded. That's faith, an understanding of who God is, an understanding of his promises. And I think sometimes many of us are believers, but we deal with condemnation. We feel like we are unworthy. We feel unacceptable in the presence of God because we have not invested our faith in some specific promises of God's Word. And I want to talk about one of those beautiful doctrines, one of those great promises of the Word of God today, and that is the blood of Jesus Christ. We need a deeper, fuller understanding of the power of His blood and what His blood can do and what His blood has done for us. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 18, the Bible says, Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition of your fathers, but you were redeemed with, is the implication, the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. I want to read that to you out of the New Living Translation. That was the New King James. The New Living Translation puts it this way. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. It was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. But this ransom that he's talking about, the ransom payment that God made for your soul. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God, that that blood of Jesus was given as a ransom payment for my soul. Peter calls it the precious blood of Jesus. In fact, when you look at several translations, many times adjectives will change from the King James to the NIV or the New Living Translation. What I found interesting is almost every translation includes the word precious. There's something precious about the blood of Jesus. There's something precious about that blood. And so I want to talk to you this morning about the precious blood of Jesus. Father, we thank you for your love and your mercy. We thank you, Lord, for the Word of God that is alive and active. I pray today, God, that it would not be me, but that it would be your Word. I pray you would touch our hearts. Lord, you would help us to find something to invest our faith in that can change the way we live, change the way we work, change the way we worship, change the way we approach you, change the way we see each other. Let the blood of Jesus Christ cover our minds today. Let it touch our hearts. We ask it right now in Jesus' name. And we thank you for your love and your mercy. In Jesus' precious name, amen. God bless you. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. Peter opens his letter to the first century church. It is a general epistle. It is a letter written to all the churches um, in the first century to be disseminated from church to church, from house church to house church during this period of time. And he emphasizes as he opens this letter, I love the fact that from the very beginning, Peter talks about the role and the importance of the blood of Jesus Christ. 
he identifies the blood, not, not merely as the blood of Jesus, but he calls it precious. In the Greek, the word timios means valuable. It means honored. It means of high status. Webster defines precious as being of exceeding high value or worth. So Peter says that we are talking about the blood of Jesus and that that blood has an exceeding high value. It has, in one sense, an immeasurable quality of worth about it. If I were to stand here for a thousand years, and I promise you this morning I will not try. If I were to stand here for a solid year, I could not adequately convey the worth and the value of the blood of Jesus. I don't think it's possible for us to exhaust this subject, to meditate too much, to reflect upon the glory, the beauty, and the value of the blood to the point of exhausting its meaning or its message. For thousands of years, Peter, when he writes about the precious blood of Jesus, he is stepping into an inherited theology. It is a theology that was very familiar to the Jews of that day. It is the doctrine of the blood. The Jews were no strangers to this concept, to the message, to the value, or to the meaning of blood. For thousands of years, they had been commanded by God to reverence blood, whether it be the blood of an animal or the blood of a man. They had been taught and commanded by God that blood was sacred. In the law of the Old Testament, the Lord giving commandment to the Levites, to the, to the uh, priesthood of Israel in Leviticus chapter 17 and verse 11, he says this to Moses, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls. It is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. And so when Peter says the precious blood, he is, first of all, operating in Jewish theology that believed there was something unique and valuable about the blood. The Jews would not eat flesh that retained the blood. They would not drink blood. They would not, when they touched blood, they would have to cleanse themselves from the impurity of that moment because there was something sacred, something precious about blood. And the Lord told them that there is life in the blood. Now think about this long before the discoveries of the 19th and the 20th century, long before Pasteur and others began to discover the qualities of the blood and the attributes, the scientific attributes of the blood. The Word of God revealed that there was something in the blood that could not be seen by the human eye. Blood would be spilled, and it would just look like a fluid coming from the body. But little did the ancients understand the contents of that blood. In that blood, there were red blood cells, and there were white blood cells, and there was bone marrow, and there was DNA, and there were all kinds of identifying markers, and there were defense mechanisms to disease, and there were carriers that would carry oxygen to every single organ of the body. There were white blood cells that would fight off, that would learn diseases and would grow and would mutate as needed to match the threat or the disease to the body. Little did the ancients understand all of the, all of the scientific nuances of the blood. But one thing they did understand by way of the word of God was that life was in the blood. It is the source of nutrients for the entire body. It is the source of oxygen for all of the cells. It is the source of protection against infection and disease. It can be a source of contamination. When contaminated blood is passed from one 
to another. It can spread diseases. It can lead to further illness and sickness as seen in many of the ancient hospitals in the Civil War hospitals of the 1860s as they would not wash instruments and they would pass germs and they would pass infected blood from one patient to another. The blood could infect others. And certainly... We understand theologically that that's what's happened to us. Is that the blood of Adam has infected all of us. And we have an inherited sin nature. A nature that bends us away from God. A nature that constantly pulls us into the weak and beggarly elements of human existence. Into a distorted perverted existence different from what God had called and created us to experience and to know. The blood has contaminated the human race, but we also understand scientifically that the blood can bring life. Through scientific advancements in the early 20th century, uh, we begin to discover the power of blood transfusions in World War I that begin to set up blood banks for the first time that literally saved thousands, if not tens of thousands of soldiers' lives because there was plasma, there was blood available to save and spare their life. We now know things about bone marrow transplants and stem cell research that brings life from one to another. There's, there's, there's both a quality of destruction, the potential for contamination in blood, but also the potential for life in blood. And we have received a contaminated transfusion by our ancestors. That's what Peter talks about. He says, you've been redeemed from this aimless conduct, received by tradition, or handed down by your ancestors. Listen, you're not a bad person because you like to sin. You're a person because you like to sin. And, you know, we, we, we act real sanctimonious on Sunday mornings, and we act like we don't like to sin. It may happen to us occasionally, but we don't like it. Let's be real. Humans like sinning. I know sort of a missionary that wanted to go to Africa because he believed he, he needed to bring the gospel to the poor, innocent natives of Africa. And he was stunned when he finally got all of his funds raised and he went over there and he slipped into depression because he discovered that they enjoy sinning as much in Africa as we do in America. <laughs> that we are bent away from God. We have a natural bent toward our own self-interest. We are not geared toward the glory of God. We are geared toward the glory of self. And we have issues in our life as a result of it. We harm ourselves as a result of it. And we harm others as a result of our sin nature. And there is this contamination in us that has affected all of us. And the Lord tells us that there is something sacred about the blood. There is, there is life in the blood. But our blood has been contaminated. In the sacrifices of the Old Testament, he reminded them that there was life in the blood and that because there was life in the blood, because the blood was sacred, that the blood was the only effective payment for sin. The only way that we could atone for the sin of humanity is to have the shed blood upon the altar. This is why in Leviticus 17, 11, he says, for the life of the flesh is in the blood. That's where the life is. That's where the meaning is. That's where the essence is. That's where the value is. It's in the blood. And I've given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement or a payment for your soul. It is the blood. Somebody say, it is the blood. It is the blood. Somebody say, it is the blood. It is the blood. It's not the altar that makes atonement. It's not the fire that makes atonement. It's not just the lamb that makes atonement, but it is the blood of the lamb that makes atonement. Sometimes we get hung up on all the peripheral instruments of worship and we forget what the essence is. Thank God for church. 
Thank God for the building. Thank God for music. Thank God for the Bible. Thank God that it's been handed down for generations. But all of this points to one thing, and that is the blood of Jesus Christ. Without the blood, the church means nothing. Without the blood, the Bible has no power. Without the blood, a gathering together cannot change our lives. It is the blood that makes atonement. It is the blood that makes a difference in our lives. Not peripheral forms of worship. Cain tried to worship minus the blood. And God rejected Cain's sacrifice. Our worship must be predicated upon the blood of Jesus. I'm trying to hold myself back right now because I want to lay some foundation. But man, I, I want to preach at the same time. There's something powerful about the blood. Everything we do has to be layered and built and based upon the blood of Jesus. Too many times... Our religion, our worship is simply a cruise control worship. Our walk with God is simply a cruise control walk with God. We develop certain patterns and certain habits and we live in those. We receive traditions of worship and so we operate in those traditions that were given to us. Sometimes forgetting the meaning and the why behind the worship and the motion. And I've come to remind us this morning that the why behind everything we do here in this church is the blood of Jesus. You've got no right to worship minus the blood of Jesus. You've got no right to be here apart from the blood of Jesus. I've got no right to preach minus the blood of Jesus. Everything we do is predicated on the blood of that altar, the blood that was poured out for our atonement. Because life is in the blood, God made it sacred. And God said it was to only be shed and only be spilled Upon the altar as a payment for sin and the soul. Hebrews 9.22. According to the law, almost all things are purified or purged with blood. Somebody say without. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. No blood, no forgiveness. No blood, no hope. No blood, no worship. No blood, no heaven. No blood, no answered prayers. The blood is the basis of everything. Listen, that's why when we talk about the Bible, we say there's a lot of stories here, but there's one story. It is the story of redemption. There is a, there is a red cord that runs from the very beginning all the way to the book of Revelation when they look into the heavens and they see him in, the, in heaven as a lamb slain from the foundation of the world. That message of the blood begins in Genesis chapter 3 and it follows all the way to Revelation 22 because there is one message of the Bible and that is the message of the blood. I've come to convince somebody you're not here because you know how to do religion. You're not here because you know how to worship. You're not here because you inherited the, the, the more supreme act of worship or the more supreme heritage of worship. You are here because you put faith in a blood that you've never seen with your own eyes but you choose to believe with the eyes of faith. I worship today not because I deserve to worship but I worship because uh, I believe 2,000 years ago uh, there was a crimson stream of blood uh, that came off that cross uh, and the blood that we saw on Calvary was the answer to 2,000 years uh, of foreshadowing. It was the fulfillment of, of biblical prophecy. It was the fulfillment uh, of every animal sacrifice uh, of the Old Testament. Uh, it pointed to one moment uh, and that moment was where Jesus hung on the cross. We are here because we believe in the blood. I've heard some atheists who criticize Christianity by calling it a bloody religion. I'll accept it. I've never found technology yet that can change a human heart. I've never found a computer yet that can improve a marriage. I've never found one university that knows how to put broken hearts back together again. They, listen, they've got their place and they're fine. But there is something about the blood of Jesus. I've seen lives changed by the power of the blood of Jesus. 
I've seen marriages healed by the power of the blood of Jesus. I've seen lives given a second chance because the blood of Jesus got a hold of their life. Second starts, do-overs that come as a result of faith in the blood of Jesus. Almost all things are purged, purified by blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. Since the fall of man, there has been an almost unending stream of animal sacrifices. In the Old Testament, this repeated stream of animal sacrifices that begins just outside the garden. I don't want to spend too much time on this. You're familiar with it. God takes an animal and he kills that animal. I was teaching a Bible study this week and I began to share this story and I saw the expression in the eyes of the man that I was teaching and I realized for the first time he is sensing this doctrine of substitution. He is understanding what it means that one died for many, that one took the place of another and Adam and Eve are there and they are naked and they are facing the judgment of God and instead of judging them and destroying their lives as would be just, God takes an animal and God slays that animal and he takes the skin of that animal off of the animal and he puts it on Adam and Eve and he covers their nakedness with the skin of the animal. Listen, they had already covered their nakedness or attempted. They had used fig leaves in verse number seven. They had sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. But God said, I see through fig leaves. But I, there's only one thing that I cannot see through. Anything you want to cover your mess with, I can see right through it. You can get an education if you want to, but I can see your sin right through your education. You can get refined, you can get money, but I can see your sin right through your money. You can get a big house and you can get a career, but I'll see your sin right through your career. But there's one thing that blocks my vision, and that is the blood of the Lamb. I'm going to take this animal. I'm going to take its blood. I'm going to take its skin, and I'm going to put it on you. And when I see you, I will not see your shame. I will not see your guilt. I will see the sacrifice. I will see the blood. I will see the commitment of the Lamb that took your place I stand here today not as a man who figured out how to do everything right but I stand here as a man who figured out that what I need is I need a covering on my life I need something that God cannot see through if I'm going to worship without shame if I'm going to pray in faith if I'm going to pray with boldness I've got to have something that covers my shame I've got to have something that covers my guilt and so I come with boldness, not arrogance, not presumption, not confidence in the flesh. But I come into the presence of God with boldness that His blood has purified my life. My performance didn't get me here. My goodness didn't get me here. But the blood got me here. The blood gets me access. The blood gets me to the throne. The blood gets me to God. The blood gets my prayers answered. Oh, I feel my help. I feel the Holy Ghost. I feel like God wants to remind somebody, you don't get to go to God because you've been good this week. You get to go to God because you carry the blood of Jesus into the holy place. You get to access the Ark of the Covenant because you carry God's blood into His presence. The blood is the payment for sin. And so in the Old Testament, we have this unending stream of sacrifices attempting to relieve the guilt of man and satisfy the wrath and the justice of God. And yet for all the animals that died, when we get to the end of the Old Testament, we still see a race of people living under the fear of God's judgment living separated from God. We still see men and women who are operating in religion, but their hearts are not changed. They still live with guilt. They still struggle with some of the same bondages. The animal sacrifices had not been sufficient to break the power of the curse in their life. 
and they were never intended to do so. God gave them the blood of the Lamb on the altar in the Old Testament, not as a remedy for their sin, but as a reminder of their sin. Those sacrifices were never intended to purge the conscience, to give man confidence before God, and to relieve the judgment of God that stood over them. They were simply intended to keep man from drifting into an annihilation of having his conscience defiled and seared. They were intended to remind man year by year by year that there is a deficiency. There is a debt that is owed. There is wrath that you live under. You are a sinner. Every year when they offered those sacrifices, wouldn't that priest be reminded when they would bind the, the sacrifice to the horns of the altar? And he would approach that altar and this innocent lamb. He would then there have to slay that lamb. With all the struggle and all the sounds of execution. And that priest would be reminded that there is a penalty for sin. My wife, years ago, we were teaching a Bible study together. And I think she asked me afterwards, why do you think God made the sacrifices for sin so grotesque? So hideous, so ugly. I mean, we're talking about the struggle of life and death for the animal. We're talking about the waste of the animal. We're talking about the burnt flesh on the altar. We're talking about the blood that would, would spurt out when the throat was cut. We're talking about the, the, the mess. If you've ever cleaned a deer, if you've ever watched a butcher shop, it was a very unpleasant, grotesque experience. And she said, why would God make the sacrifices so hideous, so repulsive? As I begin to think on it, the only answer that would come into my mind is that God was communicating to man what sin looks like to him. He was also communicating to man the serious nature of sin, that for God, sin is not a mistake. You see, we don't punish our kids when they make mistakes. Rebellion, we may punish them. But mistakes, we usually give them a second chance. But God's holy nature and God's sovereign law says that there is no mistakes. It is either rebellion or holiness. There's no middle ground. He's teaching them the seriousness of it. Impressing on their consciousness the gravity, the fatality of sin. Almost all things by the law are purified by blood. And without the shedding of this blood on the altar, there is no righteousness, there is no safety, there is no relationship with God. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse number 1, the law, this is the NIV, the law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming. Not the realities themselves. The Old Testament Genesis through Malachi was just a foreshadow of the New Testament. It was not a mistake. It was a foundation that God would build upon in the New Testament. He said this is only a shadow of things to come, not the realities. For this reason, the Old Testament, the old sacrifices can never, by the same sacrifices, repeated endlessly year by year, Make perfect those who draw near to worship. In other words, these sacrifices, no matter how often they're repeated, no matter how much they're intensified, they lacked the power to make perfect the one who was doing the offering. You understand there's some religious motion that is simply incapable of making you right with God. Don't ever think that coming to church makes you right with God. As a Christian, it's an important Christian discipline. But just coming to church does not make you right with God. Having a regular prayer life does not make you right with God. You're not forgiven because you pray. You access forgiveness because you pray, but you're not forgiven because you pray. You're forgiven because 2,000 years ago, There was blood that ran down a cross. It is the basis of our faith. Unless we ever forget and we feel that we perform our way into a righteous position before God. 
we need to be reminded that it is the blood. He said these sacrifices, these religious protocols that you did every year could not make you righteous. They couldn't purify the worshiper. He says otherwise they would have stopped offering them. For the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all, but would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. Verse 3. But those sacrifices, the Old Testament sacrifices, are an annual reminder of sins. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. These Old Testament sacrifices, he said, I've given you the blood on the altar. They can't make the worshiper clean. It could not relieve guilt. It could not settle the issue. It could not permanently remove the stain of sin. On the contrary, these animal sacrifices could only bring a regular memory of sin. They were, as I said before, a reminder, not a remedy. But then the very next verse, he says, that is why. These sacrifices were a reminder, not a remedy. These sacrifices could never make the worshiper clean. Verse 5, that is why when Christ came into the world, he said to God, you did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings, but you have given me a body to offer. The King James says, thou hast not desired sacrifice, but a body thou hast prepared me. Listen, we don't get right with God because we learn how to do religious things. Because we learn how to do sacrifices and we give a certain amount of money. Listen, there's only one path to being right with God, and that is the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. It is the blood that once for all pays the penalty for every man, woman, and child. As I said on Wednesday night, John looks up and says, Behold, after an unending constant stream of animal sacrifices, John says, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. The blood is precious because of its origin. It is not just the blood of a man. It is the blood of a man, the blood of a perfect man. You understand Jesus was sinless. Jesus was born of a virgin. He, he did not receive by tradition the same contaminated blood that we did. He was spotless, as the Bible says. Perfect. The, the blood of a perfect human. But it wasn't just the blood of a human. It was also the blood of God. The Bible says that he purchased the church with his own blood. Acts 20, verse 28. It was a blood not of an earthly father. It was not the blood that had been handed down, but it was the blood of a spotless lamb. No disease, no sin, no contamination. And that's why Jesus, this perfect lamb of God, at the end of his ministry, comes to a Passover dinner with his disciples. Bear with me. Comes to a Passover dinner with his disciples and sets down. And instead of doing what they would normally do, which is to remember, to look backwards, to focus on the blood of a physical lamb that died more than a thousand years ago, the Passover lamb. When they were coming out of Egypt, God says the death angel's coming into Egypt tonight. And if you want to avoid the judgment of God, if you want to be safe from fear, you need to take a lamb, you need to kill that lamb, a lamb for every house. Kill that lamb, take its blood, apply its blood to the doorpost. And Exodus chapter 12, verse 12 says, And when I see the blood, I will pass over this house. Verse 13 and 14, he says, You are to honor this day in perpetuity. It is to be a Passover celebration. And today the Jews still celebrate Passover as the moment 
when they were spared by the blood of a lamb from the judgment of God. And so more than a thousand years later, Jesus gathers with his disciples to do what Jews had been doing for more than a thousand years. That is to sit and to eat a meal and to reflect on the blood of a lamb that saved them so long ago from the judgment of God. But here Jesus does something more than just remember. Jesus points to something coming. Jesus takes the traditional cup and the traditional bread that they would eat at Passover. And he says, no longer do these elements point backwards. But now this cup is not the cup to remind us of that lamb. But this is the cup that will remind you going forward of this lamb. Of the new blood that's going to be shed for a new covenant. That will be not just for the pushing off of sins, but it will be for the remission of sins, the removal of sins, the expungement of sins removed from your life. Listen, when John saw Jesus, he didn't say, behold the lamb that covers the sins, behold the lamb that pushes off the sin. He said, behold the lamb of God that takes away the sins of mankind. I've come to tell you his blood is more powerful than the blood of goats. It's more powerful than the sacrifices of men. It's the only thing that can remove sin from a life that has been defiled by acts and by attitudes and by nature. There's something powerful about the blood of the new covenant. He says that's why we take communion. He says every time you take communion, you ought to remember what your faith is based on. It's not based on your pastor. It's not based on your church. It's not based on your denomination. It's not based on your worship. It's based on the blood. I worship not because I'm good or somebody else's is good or that I go to a good church. I worship because I have faith in a blood that has never lost its power. I come to God and I pray because I have faith in a covenant that is still active today. I can stand before God with boldness because I believe in the power and the effectiveness of the blood of Jesus in my life. I've got to hurry. That blood purchased a church. Acts 20 verse 28. Therefore take heed to yourselves and to the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. That blood was the purchase price of the church. That blood brings justification into our lives. I think we need a, we need a fresh understanding of what it means to be justified. Romans 5, 9 says much more then, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. I'm justified by the blood. You know what justified means? Just as if I'd never sin. Hey, when I walk into a prayer room, I don't come in there with a long record. When I come to church, I don't come to church with a long rap sheet. I am justified by the blood. It is just as if I'd never sinned. I stand before him washed. I stand before him purified. I stand before him whole. I stand before him clean. My worship is based on the blood. I am justified. Listen, legally, there's something called uh, a president can commute a sentence. In other words, you know what? You got 20 years, you're guilty, but 20 years was kind of heavy, so I'm going to reduce it down to 10. I'm going to commute your sentence. I'm going to make it a little lighter. Listen, the blood does not bring commutation. There's a pardon, which means you did it. But I'm going to go ahead and just give you a pardon. The arrest will still be on your record. But you don't have to face any penalties. And you're just pardoned from this completely. The blood does not give us a pardon. The blood gives us something called an expungement. 
It's one of the hardest things to get in a legal sense. Because that's where they go back and every record, every arrest record is pulled. See, I, I know about this kind of stuff. Every arrest record is pulled and it is taken out of the file. See, if you're pardoned, they can still go back and find out that you were once arrested. But if you are expunged, they go back and every trace, every record, every indictment, it's gone. It's erased. It's relieved. We don't come in here as somebody who's trying to barter with God and get access by praying enough. Listen, I come in washed by the blood. I come in with a record that has been expunged by the blood. I've got confidence not in me, but in the blood. There is power. That's why Peter said it's precious. It's precious blood. That blood purges, cleanses, seals. It brings forgiveness of sins. Ephesians 1, 7. In him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. It brings peace with God. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 20. And by him to reconcile all things to himself by him, by Christ whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace. Somebody said he made peace. He made peace through the blood of his cross. There was war between you and God. There was hostility between man and God. There was a chasm that existed between mankind and its creator. It was sin. It was rebellion. It was Satan's ploy of the garden. And it put a disease and contamination in every one of us that caused hostility. No matter what our minds said, our nature was hostile to God. But Jesus came and he made peace. Some of us haven't learned to live in that peace yet. We still act like there's tension between us and God. We still pray like God may be mad at us. The blood made peace. God's not mad at me anymore. Not because I did something good, but because I got under the blood. I got the skin on. And when God sees me, he doesn't see anything that would make him mad. All he sees is peace that came as a result of the blood of Jesus Christ. And that blood brings closeness to us. That blood allows for intimacy between us and God. Ephesians 2.13 But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once afar off have been made near by the blood of Christ. Does anybody ever live like you're a long way from God? That's not how God wants it now. There was a time you were an alien from God. There was a time you were separated from God. But the blood, like a magic elevator, came into your life and it began to close the gap between you and God. It began to bring you into the presence of God. That's why we say thank God for the blood. Thank God that His blood brought intimacy. When you get a conviction of the blood of Jesus Christ... You can live before God in a sense of peace. You're not always feeling like God's going to throw you out, like God's going to put you on a trial, that God's got you on probation. But when you get a conviction and an understanding of the blood, Brother Harris, I'll never forget hearing J.T. Pugh say this, a great man of God in our movement probably had a million and one revelations, revelations of the oneness of God, one of our early pioneers. But I remember hearing him say the greatest revelation that he ever got in his life was the revelation of justification by the blood. We love to talk about our revelation of oneness, but I'm telling you, sometimes we run too fast past the revelation of His blood. That it purifies us. It's not performance, folks. It is the blood of Jesus that gives us peace before God. It is the blood of Jesus that I'm, I'm so far away, Father. But it's, when, I, when I think about that blood, all of a sudden his presence is right here. 
The distance is gone. The gap disappears. When I think about the blood. The blood, Hebrews 9.14. Are you seeing how much the Bible talks about this? Hebrews 9.14, Paul said, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience. Somebody say, my conscience. My memory. The blood of Jesus will cleanse your memory. It will cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. I'm telling you, when you start to really believe the blood, some of those memories that have defined how you feel about yourself will start to lose their power over you. You'll start acting in ways that is completely different than what those memories have dictated for so many years. Because the blood can purge your conscience. Hebrews Hebrews 10, 19, he says, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest. How? Hmm. That, that priest, that priest couldn't go into the holy place because he was a priest. Being a priest didn't give him access to the holy place. Wearing those garments that the priest had to wear. Oh, let me help you. We believe holiness around here. We believe in dressing different and living different. But I'm going to tell you right now, dressing different doesn't get you into the presence of God. That priest could put on those garments all day long. But that didn't give him access to the holiest of holies. All the, all the ceremony that he went through didn't give him access to the holy of holies. Only one thing. The Bible says he would go into the holiest of holies. But he would never go without a bucket of blood. And he would have to walk in and push through the veil. Listen, some of us come to church, oh, I forgot my cell phone. Or here's one we do more, I forgot my Bible. But you can come on in and sit down, right? We're not going to Bible check you at the door. But you wouldn't go into the holiest of holies if you forgot your blood. Because you'd die if you went in without the blood. But oh, if I'm holding that bucket of blood, I don't have to worry about going in here. You see, I've got confidence now because I'm carrying the blood. I'm trying to preach confidence into somebody this morning. I'm trying to preach faith into somebody. You've been struggling with confidence in your relationship with God. And can I tell you, yes, you need Christian disciplines. You need the house of God. You need holiness in your life. But that's not where your confidence comes from. Your confidence comes Because you are walking into this holy place. Therefore, brethren, having boldness, not presumption, not arrogance, but boldness to enter the holiest. How? When I come to prayer in the morning, I don't come in here and have to go through a long list of all my sins first and earn God's forgiveness to then be able to feel his presence. I can walk right in. I may not have performed real well yesterday, but I can walk right in and say, Lord, I, I got a lot of stuff I got to talk to you about. But right now, I'm coming to you, not, not through all of my efforts. I, I'm coming to you right now, not by my performance, uh, but I am coming to you right now because I believe uh, in the blood of Jesus Christ. Uh, it's not my words uh, that get me forgiven. Uh, it is the blood of Jesus uh, that was shed on Calvary that gets me forgiven. It is his blood that gives us access to his presence. Somebody say boldness. Somebody say confidence. Say my confidence is in the blood. It's in the blood. What about about our sins, pastor? What about our sins? Well, I know we've all got sins even after we get born again. 1 John 1, 6 says this. If we say we have fellowship with him and we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But verse 7 says, but if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with him. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Perpetual, cleanses, cleanseth, purifies us. 
And this is why our elders wrote so many songs about the blood. You remember the old song that would ask the questions and the answer was the same every time? What can wash away my sins? What can make me whole again? For my pardon this I see, nothing but the blood of Jesus. For my cleansing, this is my plea, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing can for sin atone, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Not of good that I have done, nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my hope and peace, nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my righteousness, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious, precious is the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is that flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. William Cooper put it this way, there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath its flood lose all their guilty stains. One old song put it this way, Fanny Crosby, redeemed how I love to proclaim it, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, redeemed through His infinite mercy, his child forever I am. Another song says, Some through the water and some through the flood, some through the fire, but all through the blood. There is no other way but the blood of Jesus. Oh, how sweet to trust in Jesus, just to trust his cleansing blood, just in simple faith to plunge me neath the healing, cleansing flood. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him. How I've proved him o'er and o'er. Fanny Crosby in Blessed Assurance said, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchased of God. Born of his spirit, but washed in his blood. Just as I am without one plea, but what? But that thy blood was shed for me. Rock of ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. Let the waters and the blood from thy wounded side which flowed be of sin the double cure. Oh, thank God for that double cure. That washes and cleanses us. Listen, today our confidence is based on nothing but the blood. When you pray this week, you, you do it based on the blood. When you worship tonight, you worship on the blood. When you come and seek forgiveness for a sin that you've committed and you promised God you wouldn't do again, you're not forgiven because you, you can make promises and keep them. You're forgiven because the blood of Jesus Christ still stains that cross. It is the proof of his love for us. Our musicians come. Revelation chapter 1 verse 5. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to Jesus, the ruler over the kings of the earth, to Jesus who is the firstborn of those that have risen from the dead. What power, what glory. But the last part of that verse says, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. The blood of Jesus Christ is the proof of his love for us. You're not accepted because you have some innate value or quality in love yourself. You're a sinner like every one of us. We are accepted because of the blood. If you're here today and you say, well, Pastor, I've never really felt that way. 
I've never had a moment where I knew the blood was applied to my life. How does that happen? I'll tell you where it happens. It happens when you identify with the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. How do you get Jesus' blood applied to your life? You know, in the Passover, they could have killed that animal, that lamb. But until that lamb's blood was applied, there was no salvation. The lamb can die, but if his blood's not applied, it has no effect in our life. So how do I apply the blood of Jesus to my life? It has to be by faith, number one. Faith that leads you to identify with Jesus through death, through burial, and through your own resurrection. So how do I do that, Pastor? When I have faith in Jesus that he loved me and that he gave himself for me, that the cross was a sacrificial death, it was him dying once to pay for my sins, to take the righteous judgment of God on himself. When I believe that, it should cause me to do three things. It should cause me to repent of my sins. Repentance is simply where I look to God and say, God, I can't live this way any longer. I need to change. Something needs to shift. Brokenness and sorrow needs to fill our heart over the sins that we have committed. And then the Bible says that we need to be baptized. And I believe this is probably the point at which the blood is fully applied to the life. We need to be baptized in water, not sprinkled. Because baptism, baptism is, a, is an evidence. It is, a, it is an identification of burial. And so we go under the water. It's not a ritualistic act because religious acts can't save us. Having your parents do this to you when you were a baby and you have no memory of it, that's a, that's a religious act. It, it may have been a, an act of faith on the part of your parents, but it wasn't your own act of faith. So you come to a place where you say, Jesus, I want to identify with your death and your burial and your resurrection. I want your blood applied to my life. I repent of my sins. And God, now I need those sins washed away. I need your, your blood to come in and scrub my soul and cleanse me. And that's where I get baptized according to Acts twenty two sixteen. Why are you waiting, Paul said. Arise and be baptized washing away thy sins, calling upon the name of the Lord. You see, when I call on his name, I'm accessing his blood. When we baptize you in the name of Jesus Christ, we're not using generic titles like Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, which is not a, an appropriate biblical way to be baptized. The only biblical way to be baptized, you'll see it when you read the book of Acts, they never baptized any other way, only in the name of Jesus. Why? Because that baptism was a call to the blood of Jesus. That baptism was a call to the cross for the work of that cross to get applied to this life that I can identify with Jesus in my death, in my burial in water. And then when I come out of the water, I lift my hands and I begin to worship God for cleansing me. And He promises that He will fill me with the Holy Ghost, a supernatural experience. And you will begin to speak with other tongues as God fills you with His Spirit. And what happens when that happens is you get access to the blood of Jesus that purges your life. You say, Pastor, what if I sin after that? You walk in the light, confession, as He is in the light. And the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanseth us from all sins. Once we're baptized, we have a connection to the blood that as long as we walk in confession, that blood keeps flowing. It keeps cleansing. It keeps washing us. And so we come into the presence of God, not having to go through a bunch of religious protocols, but simply saying, God, let that blood be active in my life today. Let that blood give me confidence before you and access to your throne. Would you stand on your feet this morning if you're here and you've never been baptized in Jesus' name? We'd love to baptize you. We don't schedule baptisms once or twice a year. We do it whenever you're ready to be baptized. Arise, why tarriest thou be baptized? Washing away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Would you close your eyes for just a minute all over this building? I know we're getting close to the lunch hour, but would you just for five minutes, would you just give me a few minutes to let God 
put something in your heart this morning. With your eyes closed. I don't know if you've struggled with low self-esteem. Maybe you've never felt worthy for anything. Relationships. Maybe you've struggled in marriage. Maybe you've been belittled most of your life and you've always been made to feel less. And you've carried some of that into your relationship with God. You lack a certain confidence in your walk with God. God's talking to you this morning. This is why they call it amazing grace. I'm not forgiven because I pray hard enough. I'm forgiven because Jesus shed his blood on the cross for me. And I stand firmly and wholly upon that promise of Scripture. It is a precious blood. If you could identify with what I just said, if you have struggled to feel acceptable to God, I want you to pray with me right now. Would you lift up your hands? Nobody looking around. If you've struggled with condemnation, if you have wrestled shame, if you have dealt with inadequacies and things that the enemy or maybe other people have caused you to feel because of abuse in your life and you feel like it has affected your relationship with God, I want you just to lift up your hands right now. Now with your eyes closed, nobody looking around, would you lift up your head toward the ceiling? Come on, that's an act of pushing back the shame. Lord, I look to you right now as your child. Not as, not as some outsider, not as some servant, but God as your child. And Lord, I receive the, the free gift of your blood. I receive the unprecedented mercy. Because mercy is never about me, God. It's always about you. I could not earn this position before you. I couldn't earn God a standing before your throne. I don't deserve to push through the curtain and go into the holiest of holies. But Lord, I do so this morning with confidence in your blood. And I bind shame right now. Come on, if you battle shame, your mouth is important right now. Shame has an effect of silence on you. Why don't you open your mouth right now if the devil has been trying to shame you with your past? And why don't you just start thanking God out loud for the blood? Lord, I thank you for that blood. I thank you that I am made righteous by the blood of Jesus. I thank you that you bought me. I thank you, Lord, that you redeemed me. I thank you, Lord, that I've got peace with you. Not by my own works, but God, through your blood. Come on, all over this building. If you want to be baptized today, if you want a, if you want a conversion, if you want to touch God, if you need a miracle in your life, why don't you come down to the front right now and let us pray with you. We'll lay hands on you in faith. We'll bind together with you right now that the blood of Jesus, come on, some of you have struggled to pray or get answers because you've not felt good enough. Why don't you come right now by way of the blood? Why don't you come to an altar looking for a miracle with your head lifted, your hands raised in confidence that God will receive me this morning. If you're here and you need the Holy Ghost, come on down. We want to pray with you right now. If you're here and you need to be baptized today, come on down. Here and you need a miracle in your body, come on down. If you need a miracle in your marriage, come on down. If you need a miracle in your finances, come on down. God will help you today. Come on, you're praying in faith this morning that you've got access to the throne. My prayers don't do it for you, it's your faith. Come on, as you lift your voice. You need to be baptized. Why don't you come right now over by the organ? We'll baptize you this morning in the name of Jesus. Every sin will be washed away. God will purify your heart and your mind. Washed in the blood of 
Peace. 